So in this new series, it's a five-part series where we're going to be taking a biblical look at what it means to engage the culture wars around us. And I want to get one thing clear right from the start. We're not trying to initiate some war. We, we believe that culture has initiated a war against truth against the word of God. And some lines have been drawn in the sand, unfortunately, some hard lines, some red lines. And so because Christians were called to love people and be people of mercy and grace, it can get a little confusing sometimes to even know how to think, what to believe, and what to do. And the truth of the matter is, is that culture and the world around us, they stand ready to try to beat you to death to accept and affirm everything they want to be true. And they'll even use a distorted version of Jesus to compel you to do it. That's the world that we live in. But hear me, while we should be people who are full of grace and mercy, peaceful, loving, and kind, all of that has to be built on top of being principled, righteous, and wise, grounded in the foundation of God's word. And we have to get clear about what is true and what's not. And then we move from there to meet the needs and to embrace the battle if need be. We're living a time in truth where, it's, where truth is being redefined constantly. And people are waging war. They're waging war on Jesus. They're waging, waging war on truth itself and on the institutions of family, education, and yes, even government. And that's really what this series is all about. We're going to try to look at how culture wars, how the enemy is coming against God himself, against truth, the word of God. And then trying to use some foundational institutions like the institution of family, like education as a whole, and even government to work against us. It's going to be a little heavy, but I think it's going to be good and empowering for you. If you're ready to be challenged to grow and to think a little differently, come on, just say amen with me. All right, I just need to know who's with me. Let's jump straight into God's word. We use a ton of scripture here at Vintage. That's mostly because I think that's where wisdom and truth comes from, not from me. So there'll be a lot of scripture here today. Hang in there. It's going to be great. We're going to start with Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19. It says this, I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curse. Choose life so that you and your descendants may live. Continuing on, Hosea 4, 6 says this, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because you've rejected knowledge, I will reject you from serving as my priests. Since you've forgotten the law of your God, I will also forget your sons. Now that's some heavy stuff from the Lord. But it's also encouraging because here's the thing about God. He doesn't hold us accountable for something that he doesn't also give us the tools to understand. So what this means is, is that even though it can feel a little like, whoa, what did he just say? I'm just giving you God's word. What did he just say? What I'm also saying is that during this series, we're going to make the case that you can actually understand, that you can hold on to truth, and that you don't have to sit idly by. As a matter of fact, I would suggest that you can't sit idly by. I know many of you may want to be Switzerland and be like, let's just whatever happened, happen." Unfortunately, we don't really get that choice as Christians. So like Joshua, when he was looking at a wicked world around him, surrounding him, he made a choice. Let's look at it real quick. Joshua 24, starting in verse 14. I'm not going to read all of this, but he says this. Therefore, fear the Lord. Worship him in sincerity and truth. He goes on to talk about a few things and then concludes by saying, as for me and my family, we will worship the Lord. There's a choice that has to be Made And so the goal of this series is to equip you so that you can navigate the wars that are taking place, engage in them yourselves, 
and actually grow and be a better disciple of Jesus in the process. We want to help you actually grow in your faith so that you don't just have to interact with culture, but you can actually become a leader in it. You can learn how to speak to it and to bring people back to the source of truth. So as we kick this thing off, we're going to talk about the foundation of this war, which is fundamentally, I believe, a war against God. And this is not a new war, by the way. And when I say this, I'm not just talking about like the Madeline Murray O'Hares and the Christopher Hitchens and this sort of atheistic perspective that God doesn't even exist, although that's part of it. What I'm specifically talking about is how it plays out, how that war plays out. And this is how it plays out. I believe this is true. The war against God is the war against biblical truth. I'll say it again. The war against God is the war against biblical truth. So there's many people like me out there who never had enough faith to be an atheist, who, who can't look at the, star, the, scar, the easy for me to say, the stars in the sky, let me slow down a little bit, and the trees of the field, and just decide all of that just popped into existence from nowhere. Some people do believe that. Most people do not. And yet, even though they look around and go, I guess this came from somewhere, they look to the word of God, go, I don't like what that says, so I'm going to actually go to war against biblical truth. And here's the other thing. We'll talk about this in today's message and in the series. We have a very real enemy who wants to exploit us and look for cracks in the armor, look for holes and gaps in the foundation. But the enemy knows this, that when we align our lives with biblical truth, the opportunity for destruction in our life greatly decreases. One of the things that gets lost in the humanistic conversations about life and morality is this. God himself is the author of morals. He's the author of social and, yes, even scientific laws. I mean, we believe in science. Why? Because God created it. Amen? So now, just because God did all this, he did something else, though. He made us in his image, and I believe part of being made in his image means that we are made with the freedom of the will, and we actually get to choose whether or not we're going to cooperate with what God has laid before us. But let me give you something that is important. I think this is true. If you've got a pen and you're taking notes, I don't think this is in there, but you may want to write this down. Let me tell you something about biblical truth. Biblical truth is either discovered or revealed. That's it. Biblical truth, let me say it again, it's either discovered or it's revealed. Maybe it's a revelation of the Holy Spirit that leads you to the, understand the scriptures, or maybe as you're just reading, you come across and you discover it. Let me tell you what biblical truth is not. So we're clear. I'm not preaching my truth. I'm preaching his truth. Because biblical truth cannot be created, invented, or reinvented by any man. It can only be discovered or revealed. And maybe you've heard this before. Let's just think with me about this for lo with logic for just a minute. If you're the maker of a product, who gets to decide the purpose and use of the product? You can talk back. You do. You get to decide that. The product itself does not dictate how it's supposed to function or what it's supposed to do. Now, just like many products get misused, sometimes we do too. How many ever gone down the rabbit trail of like you've been doing this wrong your whole life? You ever seen that, those posts? They're like 10 things that you are using incorrectly. So you go down that rabbit hole and you find out like the Chinese takeout box with the, with the Chinese, it's actually supposed to open up and be a plate. How many ever knew that? 
You just open it up, turns into a plate, and then you can just pack it right back up and put it. Yeah, Dan knew that, of course, because he knows everything. Um, the paper ketchup holder, it's always like too small. You're like, why did they give me this for two French fries? Guess what? You just push the bottom out and it triples in size. <laughs> it's actually designed to be used that way, but people don't know it. How about the little tab on top of your Coke can with the hole in it? Why is the hole there? So you can spin it around, stick a straw in it, and it doesn't come out. That's what it's there for. And by the way, of course, there's the paper, to- paper towel debate, or the toilet paper debate. Excuse me, how many of you have the toilet paper debate in your house? Okay, I'm going to pray for you. But I'm also going to settle this for you. There actually is a right way. <laughs> Come on, there is a right way and a wrong way to put the toilet paper on the roll. And I'll, I'll tell you, you can actually go and fact check me on this, but in 1891, a patent was put forth for a roll of toilet paper, and it comes over the top, not from under the bottom. So let me just... People get excited about truth here at Vintage Church. Come on, somebody. (laughs) So if you've been arguing with your spouse for 20 years that it comes from underneath, you need to look at them right now and repent because you are wrong. Um, (laughs) There is a right way to do it. Just look at the patent. All right. If you do it wrong, that's okay. I love you anyway. God bless your ministry. Uh, But what happens if if the product itself no longer believes that the creator created it and instead just believed that it, pop into existence by accident all by itself. It just spontaneously showed up. What would happen if the chair decided that and then somehow could unfold itself into a rug? That's actually what started to happen here in, in modern Western society in the mid-1800s. Maybe you've heard of a guy named Charles Darwin. He was actually an amateur biologist, and he dropped out of medical school, got a degree in theology, which kind of blew me away once I figured out that, but then he experienced some pain in life. And he saw a lot of pain around him, and he experienced the pain of losing a child, which is a devastating thing that I wouldn't wish on anyone. But unlike the story you heard last week from Beth during worship, when they lost a child, which was devastating, they pressed into God. Unfortunately for Charles Darwin, he decided there was no God in that moment. And all this suffering meant that there couldn't be a good God. And so from that point on, he began working on a different origin story for humanity. That had never been told before. And this culminates in his book, The Origin of Species. And in this book, he conceptualized, conceptualized a world where life would spontaneously come into existence, then change over time, somehow becoming more and more complex into these phenomenal, diverse beings, including you and me. And at that time, he was writing re- lectures and doling them out just a little bit at a time, because how many know that's how deception works? And he began to plant seeds in the minds of the educated elite and convince them that this is how it was. And if you can convince the educated elite, then it'll work its way back down into culture and society. And people who don't understand look at someone who's smart and they go, well, this is how it is. And they just nod their head and go, okay, I guess that's how it is. And so this stuff began to just creep into our world. It's wild to think about that only 170 years ago, creationism was taught in every Western institution of education. Every single one of them. Now today, you go to those same institutions that started out as theological schools teaching the truth of God, and now every one of them teaches evolution. And it all started by denying the very existence of a creator. My friends, that is a war on God. What happened there was man's thinking began to replace biblical truth, and it deteriorated from there. But even though that was a pivotal moment in modernity, in the society that we now live in, the truth is it wasn't actually all that novel. 
I want to get into it because Paul warned about this, and we're going to read a lot from Romans today. But I want to jump right here to Romans chapter 1, and we'll just look at a couple verses first, starting with verse 20. It should be on the screen above my head for you. Hallelujah. Thank you for the good screen. For his invisible attributes, that is, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen since the creation of the world, being understood through what he has made. And as a result, people are without excuse. For though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God or show gratitude. Instead, their thinking became worthless and their senseless hearts became darkened. Here's what I think really happened. So like I talked about a minute ago, they had some level of understanding of God or maybe even God's. But they lost their dependency on their creator. And when this happened, and they set aside their design, they began to create plans for themselves. That's what took place. And what Paul says about all of this is that in that process of setting aside the creator and setting aside the creator's plans, their thoughts became worthless. Their thinking became worthless. (coughs) Excuse me. And their heart became dark. Let's keep going with Romans 1. 22, claiming to be wise, they became fools. They claimed to be wise. They claimed to be on the cutting edge of a new future and a new world order. And they have progressive thinking. Yes, even progressive thinking that was taking place 2,000 years ago. Here's the problem with progressive thinking. When it untethers itself from biblical truth, it actually becomes a regressive way of thinking in the worst kind of ways. Now, I don't know any Christian who is opposed to righteous progress. But when progressive thinking means we separate ourselves from the word of God and progress beyond it, we have messed up and moved to a place that's going to lead to our demise in the end. Continue on, verse 23. And they exchanged the glory of an immortal God for images resembling mortal mortal man, birds, four-footed animals, and reptiles. Therefore, watch this, this is scary. God delivered them over in the desires of their hearts, thank you, brother, to sexual impurity so that their bodies were degraded among themselves. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served what has been created instead of the creator who is praised forever. For this reason, God delivered them over to disgraceful passions. Their women exchanged natural sexual relations with unnatural ones. The men in the same way also left natural relations with women and were inflamed in their lust for one another. And men committed shameless acts with other men and received in their own person the appropriate penalty of their error. How did all this begin? It started with a denial of the creator and casting off of restraint. That's where this begins. And so we're talking about it now because this is what's taking place once again. It's cyclical. We're not new. This isn't the first time this has happened. But it is what's happening in your lifetime. And God decided and saw fit to bring you to existence to live right now in 2022. So we deal with where we are in light of where we've been. Does that make sense? Slowly but surely, in our modern era, that lack of restraint, began to produce all these humanistic ideas, which led to the sexual revolution of the 60s and continued on through different kinds of sexual free expression all the way into the point now where we can't even be sure what gender we are until we decide. Now, I know some of this stuff can seem a little funny when people meow and say that they're a cat instead of a human being. And it is a little silly, but it's also very scary because they really believe it. And God... From the beginning of time has said, I made in my image man and woman. He created them. 
This is how God designed us. We can look at all this and go, man, I just, I want to do something else. I want to be something else. Again, it's like the chair deciding I want to be a rug. And it doesn't actually matter if I want the chair to want to be able to be a rug. It doesn't matter. It's designed to be a chair. You and me, were designed a certain way. Now listen, I know what I'm saying is probably making some people uncomfortable. Believe me, it's uncomfortable to stand under the lights a little bit and to have to push back against culture. But hear me when I say this, comfort is what got us here. We get into places we didn't mean to be because we get comfortable and just slide in. Bad thinking doesn't happen in a moment. Our culture is like that proverbial frog in the kettle that goes into lukewarm water, gets turned up over time, and gradually the frog doesn't even know what it's into until it's boiling to death, and by then it's too late. This is what's happening. This is what's happening. And if what I'm saying is shocking to you, it's probably not, but if it is, I might suggest that you've been sitting in that water for too long and it's been slowly turned up and you didn't realize it. It's happened to me, actually, with some cultural issues. And I don't have time to get into all of them today. But I had some cultural issues that I was sitting in lukewarm water on, and it slowly got turned up. until all of a sudden, I felt the boiling begin to occur, and I thought I should get out of here. My thinking is becoming worthless. I had to go back to the Word of God and renew my mind. And that's what we have to do over and over and over again. And I'll also say to you, while my job is to love you and to care for you, and I do, It's not my job to protect you from the truth or to protect you from your Bible. It's actually my job to point you back to it. Again, we use a lot of scripture here because I'm not the wisest guy in the room. Probably many of you could speak better than me. Come do it. I'm giving you the word of God. That's all I know to do. So let's get back to it. Verse 28 through 32. And because they did not think it worthwhile to acknowledge God, God delivered them over to a corrupt mind so that They do what is not right, and they're filled with all kinds of unrighteousness, evil, greed, and wickedness. They are full of envy, murder, quarrels, deceit, and malice. They're gossips, slanderers, God-haters, arrogant, proud, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, senseless, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. Man, I thought the Bible was just nice and cuddly, although they did not know God's just sentence that those who practice such things deserve to die. They not only do them, but they even applaud others who practice them. That is the word of the Lord for us today. What Paul's describing all through Romans 1 is a society that's been exposed to a negative spiritual influence for so long, but in such heavy doses that they have become compromised, impaired, ruined, and no longer trustworthy or able to understand truth. This is a society that no longer feels the, pain, the consequence of pain, no longer feels the cutting of conviction, and is numb to the consequences of their own sin. This is the world we live in. I can fall into this just like all of you can. We can slide into this numbness. But God, God, he knew that what they really wanted was their own wild imaginations instead of his word. And so the Bible says that he gave them over. So with that long introduction, which is really an introduction for today's message, but also the whole series. So don't get nervous. I'm not going to start preaching the message now. We're halfway through. But that is an introduction. I want to get in a little deeper into today's topic, which is, like I said before, the war against God. But how does that happen? How do people end up at war against God? I I don't think anybody just woke up one day, they experienced the goodness of God yesterday, and today they thought, hmm, let me just go to war with God today. I don't think anybody ever did that. 
So how did it come to be? I think this is part of how. Number one, we get blinded. The world is blinded. 2 Corinthians 4.4 says this. In their case, the God of this age, the God of this age, that's not the God of heaven or of what was, what is, and what will be, but just the God of this age, has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So what does it mean to become blinded? What does it mean to become blinded? You notice there's a becoming. They weren't just one day they saw and then they were blind. There's a process, a becoming of being blinded. And part of this is the way that the enemy works through culture. So they, there's a spiritual enemy who gouged out the spiritual eyes of skeptics and unbelievers and members of a morally depraved society to the degree that it affected their ability to see things clearly. And so because of that attack on them, and the attack on us that can happen to us. We've got to watch out because this would become us. Because of that, their thoughts, reasonings, opinions, feelings, beliefs, views, and what they perceive and experience got impeded and obstructed so much that the result of which was, of course, that they became blind. But how do they become blind? Number two, the Bible tells us that Satan blinds through deception. There is a real spiritual enemy that we have. I wish it weren't true, but it is, so I'm going to tell you about it. Revelations 12, 9 says this. So the, Jesus giving a revelation to John, and he says, the ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the one who deceives the whole world, was thrown to earth, him and his angels with them. That's the agent of deception. Number three, Satan's deception, deception shapes world culture. Here's the thing. Our enemy will take everything we give him access to, then twist it and use it back against us to reshape and reframe our minds further and further away from the truth. Paul warns us about this very thing and then gives us the antidote to it. Let's watch this. We're going to skip ahead from Romans 1 to Romans 12. It says this, beginning in verse 1. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you. How many of you ever had to urge somebody? Come on, I urge you. That's a nice way of saying, you better do this. I urge you to present your bodies, that's your, everything you have, as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern. We talked about that last week. You may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. Guess what? Like I said, anytime we're commanded to do something, you should rejoice because that means you actually can. You actually can discern truth. That's why God tells you to do it. Because you can. So over the next five weeks, we're going to keep digging all this on all this. We're starting the first two weeks with the foundation of the war against God. And next week, we're going to talk about the war against truth. And then, like I said, we're going to get into the, these institutions of education, of family, of government. First two messages, this week and next week, deals with the fundamentals, and then we're going to go from there. And the reason we're going to talk about these institutions is because I believe God designed them to reflect his kingdom to the world around us. That's also part of the reason why there's such an active war to try to destroy the family, to try to infiltrate education and reshape the minds of young people, and then to infiltrate the government that, in a sense, ends up ruling and controlling people. Why would the enemy not go after those three things? That's what he's after in subtle ways and sometimes not so subtle. 
But Jesus warned in Matthew 24 that this would happen. I mean, no, Jesus is always letting us know what's coming. He doesn't want you to be caught off guard, so he's letting you know. And he says this while he's sitting on the Mount of Olives talking to his disciples. He says this to them, watch out and see that no one deceives you. Why did he warn them? Because somebody was going to try. So heads up. Somebody's going to try to deceive you. See to it. You see to it. How? Guarding your mind with the word of truth. Someone is going to try to deceive you. And Jesus is talking about the end times when he says this, which we're in. And by the way, people say, I don't know if in the end times, you're in your own end time. (laughs) You only got one life and the clock is ticking. So come on, let's live like this is the end time. I'm going to give you quickly three signs of the end times, though. This is how you can kind of look and see. Jesus said, no man knows the day or the hour, but you might know the seasons if you know what to look for. Number one, wickedness. You're going to see this expansiveness of wickedness, which really means that people are functioning without law. They're lawless and no moral standard. I'm not talking about speed limit laws. I'm talking about laws that govern righteousness and morality. And it pictures a people who cast off any fixed restraints and decide that Bible is antiquated and not for me. We see that. At the end of the age, society will throw off previously agreed upon moral standards. And those things which for thousands of years were unthinkable or even unmentionable will now be celebrated. Sound familiar? They depart from God's established laws. They make their own. 1 Timothy 4.1 says this. Now the Spirit explicitly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith. Some will depart from the faith. It's challenging, but it's possible. Paying attention to deceitful spirits and the teachings of demons. Listen, this is some deep stuff. I know it's heavy. Join a small group so you can flesh this out in the middle of the week. But i got to give it to you straight. The number two thing that we'll begin to see at the end of times, you can decide if you're seeing it or not, is deceptive and seducing spirits. There's a deception, a moral wandering that a person goes through when they veer slowly from a solid path and end up firmly away from it. That turning away happens, again, slowly over a period of time. But it's backing away from biblical truth and moving towards something that the Bible calls delusion. Number three, you'll see this, delusion, which is this, maintaining a fixed false belief that are contradicted by reality or rational arguments. That's where you say, the sky is blue, and someone says, no, it's not. That's delusional. I'm standing on a wooden stage. If you said, no, that's plastic, I could say it's wood. Come and touch it. Come and feel it. And they say it's still plastic. That's delusional, right? But this happens with truth. And 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 gives a stark warning. Stay with me. I know this is heavy, and we're going to conclude soon. But watch this. The coming of the lawless one is based on Satan's working. With every kind of miracle, <laughs> both signs and wonders serving the lie, Watch out. Not every sign and wonder is from the Holy Spirit, although we do believe in signs and wonders here. But they better point back to Jesus. That's all I'm saying. And with every wicked deception among those who are perishing, watch this. They perish because, here's why. The ones who are perishing perish because they did not accept a love of the truth to be saved. They didn't accept a love for the truth. For this reason, scariest verse in the whole Bible, in my opinion. For this reason, God sends them a strong delusion so that they will believe a lie. So that all will be condemned. Those who did not believe the truth but delighted in unrighteousness. Did you catch that? I know it's heavy. Take a deep breath. Come on with me. Yeah, it's going to be okay. But did you catch that? Because people did not love the truth and they delighted in unrighteousness, God himself gave them what they wanted. And that's how it works. 
God's saying, hey, if you don't love the truth, if you don't love what is righteous, I'll help you in your deception. Here you go. And that, that frightens me because I think sometimes we play with deception and we play with sin, not realizing that every time we do that, we're telling God, I think I want my way, not your way. I think my will, not thy will. And at some point, God says, if that's what you want. And he gives it over. Now, I want to be very clear about this. God will never force you into truth or deception. In the end, you get what you want. As my friend Ron says, you do what you believe. A delusional person is someone who clings to a false belief, even when confronted with evidence and facts and proof to refute the false belief. But how does this happen? It's the same way faith comes. Faith comes by hearing. Well, that's how this happens too. By hearing and by seeing. And it starts in the darkness of our own hearts and it begins to creep. And then we see things and we go, oh, that's, that's what I feel like. That's what I want. And somebody on the outside's telling you, oh, this is good. You should believe this. You should go for that. And you're going, I feel like that too. And meanwhile, the Bible's sitting on the living room shelf never to be read. You get pulled in. So what's really going on? I could summarize all of this by saying this. We have to stay grounded in the word of God. It's the only way to be both protected from the delusion and to be transformed and have our minds renewed when we get a little messed up. It's the only way. And here's the thing. The only thing the enemy is afraid of, the only thing he's afraid of is you knowing your word and trusting in Jesus. Hear me say this. The enemy's control and influence ends where your faith in God's word begins. His influence over your life, it stops the moment you stand on the word of God and say, I believe this is true. No matter what I hear, no matter who tells me I'm crazy, no matter who tells me I should be different, I'm gonna look at what does God's word say, that's what I'm gonna believe, that's where his influence and authority stops in your life. You step off the word, open season. All right, finally as I close, what do we do? What do we do? John 8.32 says you'll know the truth and the truth will set you, say it with me, free. Real quick, five things you can do. Number one, know what you believe. Know what you believe. If you hear something and you think, I don't know what I think about that. Get in God's word. Ask somebody who knows the word to coffee. Sit down and talk about it and try to figure out. Not what you think, not what they think, but what does God think? Remember I told you last week, reality is not your truth or my truth, it's God's point of view. So you gotta get God's point of view and then believe that. Right? That's what we have to do. Know what you believe. Number two, don't fear those who oppose you. Don't walk around in fear because people think stuff's crazy. It should be normal for you to go, oh, you believe that? Yeah, because you're not following Jesus and God's word. That's okay. I can love you anyway. And I'll try to demonstrate to you even more than I'm going to preach to you. I'm preaching to you. That's my job. We don't have to go around preaching to everybody. And how many know it's a lot easier to call out the darkness than it is to be the light? So be the light. Spend time being the light and don't fear those who see things different than you. And by the way, when you see those people, see people from a perspective of love. Remember that while we were still sinners, Jesus died for all of us and he died for all of the world. And he said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all people. So he's in the process of drawing and you might get to participate in that. So long as you know what you believe. So long as you don't fear them and stay away from them. So far as you engage with people who think different than you through the lens of love. Okay, number four, 
Pray for those who are deceived. By the way, put your name at the top of that list because you're subject to deception just like I am. Pray that you will see clearly, that you will hear clearly, that you will feel correctly and think according to God's word. And then pray for those around you the same. Number five, invite the Holy Spirit to reign in our culture and invite the Holy Spirit to reign inside of you. This is the antidote. We offer ourselves back as a worthy sacrifice to Jesus when we worship, when we believe, and we plead his blood over our lives. Not because we are, but because he is. Last scripture, Romans 8, 19. says this, for creation, all of creation, some translations say, eagerly waits with anticipation for God's sons to be revealed. The question is, each of us have to answer this. Are we eager and do we want to be one of those sons? Do we want to be one of those? Are we eager to see Jesus glorified in everything we do? Like I said, it's so much easier, so much easier to pick on the darkness than it is to be the light. Are you eager to see Jesus glorified in everything you do? Not what somebody in your life who might be deceived does, but what you do. And are we eager to actually see others come to know him? Like, are we actually eager to love people who believe different than us, to cook barbecue for them, to take them out for lunch, dinner, whatever, and to drag them to coffee and connection, to drink something good and meet some good people? Do you really want to see people saved? That's how you know if you love them. So I'm going to challenge you during this series, even though it's going to be challenging. I'm going to challenge you. Bring some people who might disagree with me. That's who I really want to spend some time with. I want to love them. Show them God's word. Hopefully be the light. Finally, are each and every one of you ready to surrender and let God call the shots? Thank you for listening to this message. You can stay connected with us at Vintage.Church or on Facebook by searching Vintage Church TX. At Vintage, we believe church is more than a place or a weekend activity. It's a spiritual family where Jesus is the center of our lives personally and our relationships collectively. If you're in the Liberty Hill area, we would love to have you join us this week. You can learn more about us, our service time, and plan your visit by visiting vintage.church slash Liberty Hill. We hope to see you soon.